Well, good morning, church. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here. And if you are a first-time guest this morning, man, did you choose a good Sunday to show up. I am so pleased to be welcoming to our pulpit this morning uh, Jack Easterby. Jack is uh, the Patriots chaplain, character coach, and director of team development. Um, Over the past year or so, we've hung out a bunch. Um, Our families have gotten together, and I have come to really view Jack as not just a colleague in ministry um, or an acquaintance or even a friend, but very much a trusted friend to me. Um, I admire his gifting. Um, I, uh, um, I value his insight. Jackson is fifth year with the Pats. Um, I, I think he's mayor of Patriot Place. Because uh, if you go down there with him, he knows everybody, and they all love him. Um, uh, he previously, he served in consulting roles with the NFL, Kansas City Chiefs, USC, Clemson, and the United States Olympic teams, both basketball and track. He graduated with a Master's of Divinity at Erskine, which is a fine seminary in the upstate of South Carolina. Um, and he founded the Greatest Champion Foundation, which does sports ministry all over our country. Uh, the smartest thing that he did was marry Holly. Um, <laughs> who uh, probably will be in second service. And uh, if you guys haven't met her yet, I mean, she just, she lights up a room with her laughter and her spirit. And together they got two little beauties, uh, Harriet and Houston. Uh, So all of that is some pretty significant stuff. Uh, But here's why I'm excited for Jack to preach for us this morning. Because this, this brother, his heart beats for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, If you've been around here for um, like the last two years, we've been working through a sermon series about living on mission, and Jack owns this concept, this conviction that we live on mission for the Lord Jesus wherever he places us. Um, But he's also a guy who's not just about the church scattered, but he's very much about the church gathered. He's committed to the local church, and I so appreciate that about you. Um, Jack and his family have been with us for uh, almost a year now. Um, uh, When they're not away on Sundays, they're here. Uh, They're going to be going through our membership process this fall, um, and I'm pretty stoked that all of you um, who haven't already get to meet Jack this morning. So I trust that you will join me in giving him a very warm MCC welcome, Jack Easterby. Thank you, Travis. Let me, let me pray for us as we get into God's word today. Father, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And Father, you thought before the foundation of the world it would be a good idea that we were here today, so we are. God, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you for this time, sweet, sweet time that you thought we should be here learning about you. Thank you for your word. What it inspires today to be like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. A couple of confessions, uh, prerequisites before we get going here on God's word. You guys have an awesome pastor. Amen. Amen. Um, You know, uh, 
as I have been blessed to travel and do different things around the country in the world of celebrity preachers who have isolated themselves for their own fame, it is much like Jesus that at the end of Jesus' ministry, he says, not that he has become famous, but that he, call, he says to his disciples, I now call you friends. And so, Travis, for your commitment to the gospel and for your heart for Jesus, you should be encouraged because God is doing something special in here through you because of your push away from America's temptation of celebrity, but your commitment to the gospel, and that should be commended. Um, When my wife and I moved up here and we transitioned from South Carolina, two goals we had, uh, we wanted to find a preacher who had a similar hairline, amen? Okay, so we, we were looking for that. That was a prerequisite. We knew the righteous would live by Bic, amen? So we knew that would happen. And then also we wanted to develop a missionary mindset to go somewhere, and we began to read amongst your staff online where there was all these Pittsburgh Steeler fans, amen? So we thought to ourselves, discipleship and evangelism at the same time. <laughs> Praise God. Like, this is going to be about something here. We got a chance to be special. But as we've come here, we have seen... Jesus in your church. We have seen Jesus in these pews, in your child care, in the voices, in the guitars, in the pulpit. And guys, guys, just please know this is not happening everywhere. And it should be commended that you here that are the faithful members, as Travis challenged you a couple weeks ago, to participate are such a huge part of the body of Christ. When we get to heaven, I always say the three things that will surprise us, right? The people that are there, right? Because we'll see some people that we saw in church or maybe some prostitutes, some tax collectors, some people that we maybe didn't, we didn't you know, know that we'd see. The people that aren't there, some people that profess to be believers that aren't there, and the last that we're there. Because heaven will be so awesome, it'll be much like this, gathered together from different backgrounds, celebrating how awesome God is and his awesomeness without sin or crying or lying or dying or anything else that ends in ING. And the power that God has will be on display. Today, I want to give you one verse, and we're going to read God's Word today. I tell our guys this all the time. The Bible is a 66-book love letter from God to us, and in it is everything we need for life. If you read it, it will change who you are. And we'll say that again. The Bible is a 66-book love letter from God to us, and in it is everything you need for life. If you read it, you will change who you are. The Bible is a history book. It is filled with stories and anecdotes. But the most powerful thing that differentiates the Bible from all other history books, you see, if you read a history book about Abraham Lincoln, you will get to know about Abraham Lincoln. You will know what kind of president he was, maybe how he was assassinated. You will know tons of things about Abraham Lincoln. But when you read a book about Abraham Lincoln, you cannot get to know Abraham Lincoln. You see, this Bible, this 66-book love letter that God gives us, we not only read about God, but when we read the Bible, we get to know God. We get to know him personally, and we see his attributes that ooze out throughout these scriptures, this 66-book love letter. And so I always tell people, because I'm an athletically-minded guy, I see the Bible in three phases. The pep rally, if you will, the Old Testament, where people are excited about the game is coming. The game is coming, and if any of you have ever been to a pep rally, you know this is an excitement of what will happen later. It's important that the pep rally happen. There are things that have to happen. The cheerleaders come out, and the band is there, and people are clapping, and there's excitement. 
And then there's the game, this four gospels that Jesus walks among us and does miracles among us and does amazing things among us and changes the history of the world. And then there's the after party where this beginning of the church happens in this book of Acts, which Travis has so eloquently gone through over the last just around 10 years, right? As I'm (laughs) understanding, right? So praise God for the pep rally, right? The game, okay? And then this after party. Today, we're going to find ourselves in the book of Romans. Romans is an incredible book. If we survey church history, and we know a little bit about Romans and the power of Romans, we know that 500 years ago, Martin Luther, it is through the book of Romans where Martin Luther is convicted, not compelled, but convicted to nail these theses on the door of the Catholic church. As a priest, he learns that faith isn't just by works, but by faith alone. And so he goes through this challenge or this conviction. We know that this book of Romans is powerful to people like Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Wesley, and the power you see of the theology in Romans is all over the scriptures and all over the history of the church. So it has been said by many theologians, Billy Graham, people like that, if they had one book and they were on an island, they would want the book of Romans. And even beyond that, if they had one chapter of one book and they were on an island, they would want Romans chapter 8. And so I felt convicted as Travis asked me to fill the pulpit today that I would fill a bridge spot for you between the book of Acts and the power of God of what he did through Paul and all these who are traveling the countrysides sharing the gospel and then the law which you will hear through the Ten Commandments. This bridge for me is that God is using all things for all good because it's all God. So today I want to give you a couple of things from Romans 8:28. Just do one verse and just expand it in a little bit of my testimony so we can get to know each other better, but hopefully at the end your focus won't be on me, it'll be on Jesus. So I want to give you a thought here. All things all good, all God. All things all good, all God. And so as we go through this, my prayer is that you will see God himself crucified and risen up. From the pen of Paul here, just one verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And I'm going to read it again, just one verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, as we start, we start with the idea that Paul is writing a epistle. This is essentially his mission statement, this book of Romans, to a church that he has a heart for, a desire for. And we see that all throughout Romans chapter 8, he's building an argument for his mission. It is a power-packed seven-game series, if you will, of powerful statements that he is theologically inclining the mind of those who are listening to the gospel and the power power of the gospel as he begins in Romans 1 with the power of gospel that he is oh so unashamed of. But at the beginning of this verse, it's very interesting that he starts with all things. The few verses before this, and this is very important, the few verses before this, Paul references the Holy Spirit. He talks about how when we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and there are things that we can't even say, like we try to pray, and I don't know how you are in your prayer life. Many of us pray. Uh, I grew up in a a Presbyterian church where I stood up, sit down, stood up, sit down, praise God from whom, where are we going to church after this? 
Praise him, all creatures. Here, this girl really cute next to me. And so the power many times becomes rhetoric of just stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, and we go through the motions, but yet we don't know the emotions that God is asking us to do. So in the verses previous to Romans 8.28, what Paul is writing is that sometimes the Holy Spirit in us as Christians is yearning for something, yearning for an understanding, yearning for a deeper relationship, yearning for clarity at what's going on in this game called life, but we just don't get it. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you're wearing your prayer out and you don't understand. You don't know if God hears you. You feel like he's distant from you. And you pray and you pray and you don't know if he hears you. And you don't know if you're hearing him. And there's this distance. There's this fogginess. And you're trying to understand, God, what are you doing? So God starts with this phrase, all things. He says there's some things here. Paul is going to say there's some things, there's some circumstances that I want to put you through because your ability to pray or your ability to hear me is limited. You you will groan for me, you will long to know me better, but there's only certain things you can do through sitting in a pew or your prayer life at times. There are things I need to put you through all things because they'll show you all of God. What are some things we go through in life? First of all, how about parenting? I've been blessed to uh, be a parent twice removed. Um, it's an amazing journey. Uh, I'll never forget when my first child came. Uh, I don't know if you, those of you who are dads in the audience, you like prepare. I've been around athletics all my life, so I'm thinking I'm going to coach my wife. It's a great opportunity for me to be a coach for a minute. Like This is going to go really well. So we go in there, and we, we have this, 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 this coach, and we're, we're, we're getting going, and we're starting this, and my wife has got my hand, and I'm thinking to her, you know, I don't really know what to say. Good job. Like, I don't know, like, this is great job. This is going awesome, right? Hit a base hit. Like, I don't know. Like, there's a limited to my vocabulary. And then all of a sudden, there's a point in which the labor pain hits. And she says, just be quiet and hold my hand. Um, Praise the Lord Jesus. You know, I don't know. But then all of a sudden, through becoming a parent, I begin to see the attributes of sovereignty. God shows me through being a parent that I need to be out in front of things that I need to pray for my kids, that I need to shepherd my family, that I need to have a power or a thought process that I am a over, a a shepherd, if you will, of my own household. All things. Parenting is a great example. What about work, right? We all love work. I've had people say to me, man, I love your job. This your job is great. Or some people say, man, I want your job. Or other people may in this audience even say, I like his job or I like her job. But the reality is work is tough, amen? And even since the fall of the beginning of the world, right, God made work tough because it was one of the punishments. So God says, I want to take you through work. Why? Because I'm preparing you because eternity, you'll work for me. What are things, all things, shepherding of parenting, doing a job? Another one I thought about was financial. You know, God gives us resources. Some of us have more than others. Some of us are blessed with certain situations, and we get this money, or we get this opportunity, and we see, what is it like to have some of this, and what do we do with this? And God is showing you, yep, your stewardship of what you have is a great example of how you rely on me, because I am a steward of all that I have. Pain. Things that we go through. Pain. All of us in here have gone through pain. 
In the last week, I guarantee you, everybody in here could stand up. We could line up, and you could go through the story of pain. You could talk about the pain that you've been through. You could say, man, I went through this this week, had a headache at the very least. Maybe I had somebody lie about me. Maybe I had something go on this week that was painful, right? And so the idea is that we've all been through pain. Parenting, we learn sovereignty, right? Work, we learn how to work for a bigger purpose, right? And then stewardship of our own resources, we learn how God is the ultimate steward of all resources. But then pain. You know the cross is the most bought piece of jewelry in American history? Why is it? Because when people put that on, it's God's symbol to us, I feel your pain. Pain. Even pain is a thing that God allows us. All things show us all of God. You see, the reason you go through so many circumstances in life that we cry to get out of, the reason you go through so many different kinds of circumstances is because God is not wanting to just show you one part of himself. God wants to show you all of himself, which includes sacrifice and pain. I can only imagine one of the greatest relationship moments in all the history of the world was when Jesus was on the cross and there's a criminals next to him and they're going through the same thing he's going through. And you know what it's like if somebody's been through the same thing you've been through, how there's an instant connection. You've been through what I've been through and I've been through what you've been through and there's this instant connection as Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lava sabathani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's that old criminal, what does he say? Hey, Jesus. When you get into your kingdom, will you remember me? Because all things, pain, childbirth, parenting, stewardship, even how we spend our days reflect to us all of God. All things reflect us all of God. The second thing he says here is really interesting is he says all good. Now it would be foolish of me to stand before you and say that all things in life are good because all things in life are not good. Things that happen to us are challenging and they hurt. And they are very, very painful at times. And so Paul here is not saying all things that happen to you are good. Because it's just not true. And that's where the prosperity gospel runs into a problem. Because if I only preach it, it will always work out for you. And it doesn't work out for you. You can't believe what we're preaching. The power of this is that all things will work together for good and that God is going to reshape our perspective in order for us to see his power. There seems to be this understanding that there is a plan up here that God is unfolding and there is active duty military Christians down here that are working daily for his glory and there is a master plan up here and we don't always understand that but it will work out for his good. A little bit of testimony on this one. I was a uh, athlete, small college athlete. In high school, I desired to play at a big school, right? Those of you who are athletes, you know your goal is to play on the biggest stage possible. So my goal is to play on the biggest stage possible, and I just didn't have the test score to do it. I thought the SAT was a past tense for sit, amen? <laughs> that was a joke, um, kind of a joke. <laughs> um, and I just didn't make the grades. Didn't know Jesus growing up, was raised in a Christian family, but didn't know God at all. And I want you to listen to me closely here because this will bless you. All things reveal to us all of God, and then all good reshapes our perspective at what God says is good. So I was raised in a Christian family, but didn't know Jesus at all. And I go to college, and within six months of going to this small college in rural South Carolina, I had met my wife 
and I had met Jesus himself. A place that I didn't desire to go. I I wanted to go big time. I wanted to be on the big stage and, and do big time athletics. But because for some reason, all things, all good, I began to go to this small school and I meet within six months of being there. My wife and Jesus himself, and I began a personal relationship with Jesus that was amazing and has changed my whole life existence. Watch this, it keeps going. My junior year, because a friend of mine was working for the Carolina Panthers, I got an internship with him, and then he transitioned to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he offered me an opportunity there to work in the salary cap department. Awesome. Thought it was going to be great. I wanted to be in sports administration. This was great. I was going to get in with an organization. It was a great job out of college. And my grandmother, who I loved, who helped raise me, passes away of Alzheimer's. All of a sudden, my grandfather's alone, who's my namesake. And I know that I have to go back. And I feel this inkling. My wife and I are engaged. We're living time apart. It's too far apart to to operate efficiently in a relationship. And now my grandmother, who's gone on to be the Lord, has left my grandfather by himself, and he has no one to take care of him. So I leave a job in Jacksonville, come back to Columbia, South Carolina with no job. I come back to Columbia, South Carolina, listen to me, church. And when I came back to Columbia, South Carolina, I began to do study hall at nights with our basketball team. I didn't understand why I was there. I just knew I was supposed to do study hall with the basketball team because it was a job that paid me $8 an hour and I could do it. Our first team in 2005 at University of South Carolina had nine guys with no dads in their lives. Nine guys. I had nine guys with no dads in their lives, and we started doing Bible study. Hey, come over to our house. My granddad would go to sleep at 7.30 or 8 at night, and I would have Bible study on the first floor. My wife would join us. And then we got married, and then I, I felt the call to go learn God's word. And then I felt the call to go learn God's word, and we get this great ministry built called Gamecocks for Christ. It's on Monday nights, and all the athletes are coming. And then in 2008, I have a coach that comes to me and says, hey, we don't want your services anymore. We want everyone who's Christian to be out of the university. So I'm praying about this, and I'm like, God, wait a minute, we built this thing, and you'd call me back from Jacksonville, and now we're in ministry and FCA, and this is going great for your glory, God, and what's going on? And you get a phone call from a guy who was in Gamecocks for Christ, who's now playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. He says, hey, will you do chapel for us? And I came out there, and I spoke. And a guy named Scott Pioli said, hey, will you come back next week? And then he said, hey, will you come back next week? And then two years into that ministry at Kansas City Chiefs, we're doing Bible study on a Saturday morning in December. Amazing Bible study. We got coaches there. It's going great. It's awesome. We're, we're studying God's word. And our security officer runs into our Bible study and says, Jack, we need you downstairs. And I run downstairs. As I come downstairs in a parking lot, one of our players has committed suicide. And I think to myself, what in the world? And we go through this, and I sit in the front row with his mother at at their funeral. And I say, God, you're going to use this somehow. I don't understand, but I know this is all for good, for your glory. I know it's all good for your glory. We get done with this funeral. Three weeks later, I had my second child, Harriet. And I'm at home, and I get a phone call from our head coach. says, hey, we've all been fired. I was like, man, this is crazy. All these people that I love... We started in ministry. It was great. We came back to South Carolina. We learned. We did kingdom work. Now we have a player who's lost his life, and now we have another ministry that may be lost. What do we do? And I was walking at Camp Caswell, a Southern Baptist camp in North Carolina. I got a phone call. I said, hey, this is the head coach of New England Patriots. Would you be interested in coming up here? We've never had anything like this. So I come up here, and it has absolutely radically changed my life the kind of men that we have in our building, 
the kind of people that God has put me in front of, the kind of glorious friendships that I have in this amazing building called Patriot's Place. So when people say to me, it's got to go perfect, and it's got to go this way, and it's going to be a street, and God wants you to bless you, and he wants to give you add zeros to your bank account, I say, sir, that's just not my story. My story is one of death, people dying, and yet God bringing glory transition where I go into places I didn't know anybody and see people that I didn't have any idea of, but I just stay true to this gospel because it says that all things will equal all good, even though I can't see it. I don't know what the future brings, but I know who brings my future. You see, we have believed, and there's a very dangerous theology, that where we stand currently and our desired destination is how we team up with God. Listen to me, church. We believe and we have believed that where we stand currently in our desired destination is how we team up with God. Meaning, God, I'm here and I want to go there. So will you come with me from here to there? But see, that's not how the gospel unfolds. You see, the Bible is a 66-book love letter, as I said, of story after story of God beginning with the creation and now knowing that at the end of this story, he's going to restore the creation for his glory for his glory. So this whole story of the beginning of time to the end of time is a story. It's a fabric woven together for his glory. And there are things that we do not understand, but the story is from the beginning of his story to the end of his glory. And from our story to the place we desire to be, it's just a small snippet in that amazing big plan. So for us to say, God, will you join me on our journey from here to my desired destination is not the perspective that he's asking us to look at life with. You know, I'm amazing. When I talk about all good, okay, all things, all good, all God, I think to myself, the most powerful probably holiday, one of the most powerful holidays in the Christian faith is Good Friday. It's Good Friday. We call it Good Friday. Well, what is good about Friday? Like, what's, what's good about this? Like, what's good about the crucifixion of Jesus, the nasty death, the six-hour painful death of Jesus on Calvary's cross? What, what's good about this? This is nasty. This is, this is humiliating. This is the end of all these Christians. Go away. We got you beat. This is Satan's moment. Ha ha, I'll get you guys. You think you're going to do all these healings and get all these people back behind me. No, no, no. I'll kill him. I'll put him to death. I'll take him to hell. That's Satan's day. You see, the good about Friday was not that it was perfect and glorious and everything was absolutely seamless. The good was that during these six hours, he was taking your place so that you can have everlasting life if you believe in his name. You see, this is how we have to understand good. You see, good in our economy doesn't mean it's always perfect. Good in our economy is something like this. We, we have this resume, which God says in his word is like filthy rags. Your best is like filthy rags, and we get it all together, and we go to hand it to God with our lip quivering, knowing it won't be good enough. As we get ready to hand it to him, Jesus steps in and says, I fulfilled all ten. I had the perfect resume. He's with me. Travis is with me. So then it becomes a real good Friday. But it's a good Friday in the economy of God, not economy of man. Because good is not always seen by us. All things aren't good, but God is working it out for good. 
All things. You need to go through different circumstances so you can see all of God. All good. It is not all good, but God is working it together for good. Lastly, all God. All God. I, um, about seven years ago, eight years ago now, I was in a, uh, uh, overseas. I was at, uh, actually in the Czech Republic, Prague, downtown. I was with a basketball team, and we had traveled there. And uh, as I had been there, uh, we had had some bad food over the course of the time. Those of you who've been to different countries, different food does your stomach different ways, amen, right? So my roommate was a little mad at me, right? I'd been spending a lot of time with my brother John, amen, right, in the Bible. So some of y'all, some of you guys may get that. Um, And as I got to Prague, Czech Republic, I came downtown and I saw diagonally from our hotel, it was a KFC. Amazingly, KFC and Taco Bell have their way of making it all over the world. Um, but I look at myself, I said, we do chicken right, amen? So I went over there and I, and I got these chicken, you know, all this food and I ordered all this food. And the lady says to me, oh, you're not from around here. I said, oh, I'm from South Carolina. And she says, oh, is, is that kind of like Indianapolis? I said, well, <laughs> not really, but kind of. And so she says, oh, do you know, and she asked me some famous athletes in America, did I know them? And I said, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, I didn't know them. She said, but those are your champions. She was completely misunderstood at why I wouldn't know the champions our culture exalts. Why would I not know them personally? Like, why would you celebrate and put this guy on TV if you didn't know all his attributes were worth being on TV? And so that night, I went back and wrote a poem. I want to share that poem with you, and I'm going to ask you some questions before we wrap up today. The poem's called The Greatest Champion because it is my belief that God, in this scripture, wants all things for you to see all of God. And he wants all good so that you can reshape your mindset of what good is. And then he wants all of this last sentence, which is crazy, the purposes of God, so that you can become the ultimate purpose of God, which is he wants to make you like Jesus. I want you to listen to this poem, and then we'll pray and challenge each other. The debate remains aloud to find from the crowd the greatest champion of all time. So let them line up, all holding their cups, determined by their nickels and their dimes. You see, quickly we will see a glorified tree of athletes, politicians, and heroes. Many of them promote self and bank account wealth. It's a competition that revolves around zeros. But I dare to say the greatest champion of today is one who's been forgotten by most. He's valued to a few who sit in the pew. He was announced by the heavenly host. He was born in a stable to show that he's able to serve and lead at all costs. He seeks and he feeds the deepest of needs of anyone who confesses, I am lost. He fed, he healed, in Gethsemane he kneeled to earn his ultimate crown, accused by a crowd, blasphemy, out loud, to a cross they thought his kingdom would come down. Watch this church. For six hours he hung. No national anthem was sung. No ESPN coverage was given to his game. Alone he competed until your sin he defeated. The king of Jews was what they called him by name. You see, the champion was graved by one he had saved, never to be heard from again. But after three days, the stone was away and the locker room, it was emptied of sin. The greatest champion, he rose and he preached love that flows to his disciples and any of us who will listen. He preached no banner or ring or perishable thing. He preached about a home with streets that are going to glisten. 
The greatest champion, he's Jesus Christ, who paid full in price for all that call on his name. And the way that he walked, the way that he talked, he masters this life and all of its silly games. So let's hear a cheer, the greatest champion. He's in here. He said he would never forsake. He has all the reasons. Friends, he named every season. He's the greatest champion. Let us make no mistake. God's goal for you is not for you to be like the champions of this world. God's goal for you is not for you to be like your CEO. God's goal for you is not for you to be like the person next door that you wish you could be like and that you compare your entire existence to how he exists or how she exists. God's goal for you is that you would be like Jesus. Because the very next verse in this whole thing says that those he called, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the very reason you exist and that you've been called is so that he could conform you to make you like Jesus, who is the greatest champion. All things, there are a variety of circumstances that we will go through in this life, and all of them, all of them, will somehow show us all of God. All good, all things are not good. Things that happen to us are tough, but if you line up the things that have happened to you in your life, the really hard things, and then you flip over the paper and list all the really bad, 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 bad things versus the very good things, my guess is they'd probably be correlated. And lastly, God's goal for you is not just to have some earthly possessions or to give you your goals which have limited understanding. But God's goal is to make you like Jesus, which is going to hurt. And it's going to be challenging. But it's the reason why he made you, because that is the purpose of why we're here. You know, we live in a challenging world right now. We live in a very challenging world. But there is nothing better that you can do to face a challenging world and bow your head and your heart to an awesome champion and say, God, I know you're working all things out together for good. And I just want you to make me like Jesus. As hard as it's going to be on me and my family, as many states as I'll have to travel to, as many places as I'll have to go, and as many times as I'll have to come to you and say, I don't understand. As many times as I'll have to hit a knee or preach a sermon to a family that I don't know what's going on, I just ask you, God, would you mold me and make me and shape me into the likeness of your son. So when we stand before God, you will be perfect, made complete, and as James says, lacking in nothing. That's the power of God. Romans 8, 28, a popular verse used so many times to manipulate our minds towards earthly good. But God is doing it for heavenly good. And my prayer is that you would know Jesus and you would make him known because he is the greatest champion. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.